What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 56. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Well, you know what? I just found out some pretty cool information, Zach. I found out that we are one of the top 25% of all podcasts. Possibly even uh, higher than that. You know, I hear uh, we've been getting shot down from the top. I hear Joe Rogan's after us. I think he oh, wants God. our viewer base. I, th- I think he, he, he sees us as competition. I mean, he probably does want our viewer base because our listeners are the best listeners. But true. he also probably has no idea we exist. Not probably. <laughs> he doesn't know we exist. Well, I, I, this is mostly a, a joke, but I'm referencing something Zach told us before this show. We were looking up some of the statistics on podcasts. And we're like, this is a pretty pretty cool podcast we've got going here. I think it's time we pat ourselves on the back for once. It, we're, we're usually really humble people. Right. <laughs> It's not like we have a trophy channel that I, I, uh, <laughs> I frequently I post nonsense in. in. But uh, anywho, let, let's let's get into some episode stuff. We've got uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms first impressions this week. Yeah, exactly. So this week we are going to just kind of touch base on this brand new format that we have. It feels a little bit like we've had this format forever now because spoilers ran right into the set dropping and we've been drafting it and with the internet and arena and stuff it it has felt more and more every single set like one week into the set everybody knows what's going on and it's kind of interesting i think that's less so sort of happening with this set in a couple of ways and we'll talk about that in a bit but before we get into all of that of course our usual housekeeping if you're not in the discord check out the discord it's a great place to go to chat with the rest of our community stay in touch with us and talk all things magic whether it's limited or constructed, we tend to have a lot of limited conversation there, but we do have some constructed-oriented folks as well, so check that out if you're into any sort of format. And of course, with AFR just coming out, we have a lot of conversation and discussion going on there uh, as well. So check out the Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter. Also, if you want to give back to the show, support us in really the the best way that you can would be to go to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We have a few different tiers over there offering things running from stickers. Um, We have access to show notes, our sort of deck building bonanza with Ben and myself, and a whole lot of different things in between. So definitely check that out if you're interested in giving back to the show. It really keeps us doing this week in, week out, and we can't thank all of our patrons enough. We also have a few new things coming on the uh, the Patreon very soon. Ben and I have a bit of a... uh, well, what I would call a strategy session to talk talk over some of the things that we're going to be doing thanks to the survey we have. And, of course, you can still continue to answer that. That is open. The link to that will be in the episode description as well. But that kind of helps us shape where we're going with the show and what we plan to do in this second year of the podcast. So uh, if you haven't answered that, definitely do that. That helps us out a lot. But we're going to be talking about a lot of those things this week and kind of working through some of the new things we're adding to the patreon as well as when we're going to be adding those so definitely keep an eye on that if you um are interested in seeing what we're doing with that you said we've got a strategy session coming up that's a funny way to say we're going to fnm together (laughs) yeah yeah we're doing that too but uh you know we're also going to talk shop a little bit a little bit on the drive there right yeah just it's only like 10 (laughs) minutes i mean we don't really like do much with this podcast so it's it's just like a quick little conversation that we have and, and that'll be it (laughs) <laughs> yeah right anyway why don't we do a crack a draft type thing absolutely walk us through it right so this week got a pack one pick one straight from afr hot off the press first thing up evolving wilds which i found to actually be you know something that you really do want in pretty much all of your two color decks and on- honestly 
your three question mark color decks. We've seen some weird looking decks. I've noticed a lot of almost mono color decks that tend to splash like one or two, uh, maybe removal spells or bombs and, and off colors. And E-Wilds is a good part of that. Between this and the Dragon Land, uh, I think it's called like Temple of the Dragon Queen. This is really all the fixing you get land-wise, so I'm always pretty happy having an E-Wilds in my deck. Yeah, this is a weird set in terms of that. It's been a long time since we've seen a set with basically no fixing in it. And that's mm-hmm. not entirely true of AFR, right? Because treasures abound. They're all yeah. over the place. But we're not used to not seeing duels in, in sets. So E-Wilds is certainly a card that you want to be keeping an eye out for. Not a first pick, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fixing is fleeting, thanks to treasures. I've noticed sometimes it's tough to cast uh, double pip spells. Playable uncommons and rares. Uh, I don't think any, many commons, but a lot of them have these double pips, and occasionally you'll have a weird draw, and you won't be able to cast your, say, your air cult elemental, which is up next. That's four blue blue for a two five. It's an elemental flying. And when it ETVs, return up to one other target creature to its owner's hand. Now, that's not only opponent stuff. That can be your stuff, too. So you can... I don't know, bounce something that was uh, charmed to sleep or locked down otherwise or something like that. This is this card is overperformed for me. I really like it. I, I think they actually, funnily enough, they pair in multiples pretty well, which isn't something you usually say about a six drop. You're not going to play four or five of these things, but uh, if you need a top end, bouncing something and then swinging in and then bouncing something else, it's a good game plan. These things are tough to kill. Yeah, and five toughness is huge in this format. I mean, it blocks pretty much everything, so... It's a great stabilizer for tempo decks. I could even see it at the top end of like potentially like some of the blue based aggro ish decks. Like I think it's a good top end for some of the blue black decks, which is kind of only the only place I want to be playing blue and then maybe blue red depending on your build. But yeah, air cold elemental has risen quite a bit in my my estimations uh, since we started looking at the format. Risen all the way up into the sky there. (laughs) Right. Next up is Circle of the Moon Druid. That's two and a green for a 2-4 human elf druid at common. As long as it's your turn, it's a 4-2. So yeah. Uh, huh. Yeah, it, I, this one's been, like, fine. You'll yeah. put it in the decks that want it. But sometimes it, when you leave this thing back on defense, it feels bad because it wants to be attacking. It's got four power, but then it's trading down with, like, two drops. So yeah. it's, it's never really at its best. You would rather have the 4-2 on defense if you wanted it, and I guess the 2-4 if you wanted to attack into a, a, a weird board. Okay, maybe it's halfway at its best sometimes, but it's fine. Put it in your green decks if you need cards. Yeah, blocks Hobgoblin Captain really well, which is a big deal for some of these green decks, which aren't very aggressive sometimes and don't really have a great mm-hmm. way of stopping that card otherwise. So it is pretty solid, but I think it's worse than a lot of people thought it was going to be when the format started. Next up is Contact Other Plane. Three and a blue for an instant. It's when we roll d20, one through nine, draw two. 10 to 19, scry two, draw two. 20, scry three, draw three. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. <laughs> Put it in your blue deck. Uh, I, I really do like building around the rolling synergy. I had a fantastic uh, trophy deck from earlier today that, that was just blue-red dice rolling. And Contact Other Plane was a, a nice part in it. It helps refill your hand, which sometimes you do need in this format. Card advantage is pretty solid. Again, can't put infinite of these in your deck. You'd have to affect the board in this format too, or else you're going to get run over by little dorks. But you do want to have one of these in your blue deck. This card does tend to feel bad a lot of the time, though, when you're spending your four mana to, you know, contact the other plane and your opponent's playing like Brunor, Battlehammer, and you're just like, oh, I guess I'm just (laughs) going to die now. Okay. Yeah. Next up is Faraday's Fireball. This is three red red for an instant. It deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker and then roll d20. It either deals two damage to each player or 
two damage to each opponent, depending on if it's one to nine or ten to twenty. So I, I think with these cards, we've really started to see this trend of five mana, deal five damage to something, and then somehow it deals some damage to the controller. This has been a trend for the last like three sets. There, there was the uh, uh, what was it? God, I'm already forgetting cards from <laughs> from Strixhaven. Pigment, pigment uh, there was Pigment Storm in Strixhaven, and then what was the one from ZNR? That one dealt damage based on party. So in this one, we're kind of guaranteed two damage. So this, this no matter what, is dealing two damage to your opponent, uh, which actually makes it a pretty good top end for aggro decks. I really like having one or two of these at the top end of an aggressive build, because then you know this is going to deal two face damage and remove a key blocker. I mean, it takes care of pretty much anything besides one of the, I guess, six or seven toughness. There's not too many of those. But, I mean, you're not taking the super high. You can't play infinite of them either. I guess that's kind of the trend with this set. <laughs> None of these cards so far... Th these are all pretty solid cards, but uh, uh, Faraday's Fireball, it's fine. I'd, I'd like to play one or two. Yep. Next up is Fate's Reversal. That's one of the black for a sorcery. Return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Venture into the dungeon. Yeah, this card's been fine. I've seen it played decently in both green-black and black-white. Sometimes I've seen it in black-blue, but... You know, it, it really does kind of fit its best in, in the black-white decks that are really caring about those ETB triggers and trying to trade off Death Touchers and buy those back and things of that nature. Venture's fine, and, and the black-white deck can capitalize on the Venture much more than a lot of the other ones can, so I feel like it fits best there, but it's a fine card. I'm definitely not looking to first pick it, though. Like, I like a lot of these other cards much better. Yeah, definitely not. Again, this kind of card gets better when your creatures are better. If you have a specific card uh, that... It happens to be a bomb or happens to be really good at trading like a death toucher then this card gets a little bit better next is potion of healing that's one in a white for an artifact when it etbs draw a card and uh, then it has white tap sack it you gain three life i haven't cast it i yet. have and i saw it used against me to remarkable success the problem really? was it relied on a rare which was Teleportation Circle. Teleportation Circle can just bounce this over and over again, and you're just drawing cards. It's kind of like... Oh my god, that can blink artifacts? It sure can. Whoa. So <laughs> that in that case, up. it works quite well, and it is a little bit of an, like a, a panic button where you can gain three life when you need it. So it, it's fine. It's not a great card, though. I still put this at like a C-, and even then, it's like it takes that one rare to make it even really good. Uh, but it is fine as a 23rd card in those green-white life gain decks. Yeah, having a, a life gain trigger that you can you know, do at instant speed. There, there's some neat little combos. I'm trying to think of some some quarter cases. You can untap the roper. St the roper. You can scry on upkeep with Trellisara <laughs> if you're going Well, you really can deep. pump so, like Celestial Unicorn and Trellisara on your opponent's turn if they think they can attack through the two of them. You can pump them on instant yeah. speed, things like that. I mean, it's on the board, so it's not like you really can expect to get your opponent with this, but it's there, and it is effectively gaining you three life, you know, that that's sitting on the board, so it's okay. Next up is Price of Loyalty. That's two and a red for a sorcery. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap the creature, it gains haste until end of turn. If mana from a treasure was spent, then it gets plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. Yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit more so, in the... In yeah. the uh, when we talk about deck vectors in like later mm. in the show, but this card has a home and it can do work. Yep. And if you want to find out what home that is, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> I, I haven't got one of those in That's a true. while. Just wait for later in the show. We'll talk about it. Next up is Silver Raven. That's one blue for a 1-1 one, one artifact creature. It's a bird. It is flying. When it ETVs, scry one. Why is this in the set? 
I don't get it. Yeah, I don't really either. I mean, it's, I guess, a, another good, like, flicker target. But the only card that can really do that is Teleportation Circle. So, otherwise, it just doesn't. Yeah. Maybe it's there just as, like, a... I, you know, I really don't know. But I have seen it played, and I've never felt it be, like, oh, crap, my opponent played a Raven. You know, it's just it's just fine. Although, I will <laughs> say, Flyers can be hard to deal with in this format. There aren't amazing Reach mm. creatures, and there aren't... Unless you're in the decks that have a lot of Flyers, or have access to a lot of Flyers, they can be hard to deal with. So, equipping this up with almost anything can make it big and an actual threat but meh. yeah that's true if you're playing a bunch of little one mana one one flyers uh, which there's this in the hawk and then your opponent is playing like three mana one power creatures of which there are a good number you might just be able to outpace your opponent yeah. <laughs> if you can dump your hands of little dorky one one birds uh, and then get in all right i guess it's in there to complete blue white bird tribal but i would not recommend playing this card it, it's been pretty close to an F every time yeah. I've seen it. And uh, our last comment here is you find a cursed idol. It's one in a green. Sorcery. Choose one. Uh, you can smash it. Blow up an artifact. You can lift the cursed. Destroy an enchantment. Or you can steal its eyes. Make a treasure and venture. So for me, the big, the big like highlight marquee effect from this card is the ability to destroy an enchantment. There isn't a ton of enchantment removal and the enchantments in this set are good. The class enchantments are very mm. good. So having access to a card, especially if you're playing traditional where you can bring this in in the board, having access to enchantment removal is pretty strong. I wouldn't say this is the best it gets as far as enchantment removal in this set, but, you know, it's good to have access to. Honestly, there's some good artifacts. That's true. Uh, think of portable hole, the gargoyle, plate armor, any of those big equipment. I, I'm pretty happy main decking one of these in green. And the failsafe of just making a treasure and venture it's kind of like a temporary ramp spell, uh, and then you, you get to venture to maybe scry. It's not quite cycling itself, not quite drawing a card, but I think the flexibility of this makes it something that every green deck probably wants a copy of yeah, this, Yeah, I would right? think so. So what are you on so far of this pack? Yeah, I think, for me, it's probably the Circle of the Moon Druid, because, really? yeah, because it's it's just, I think, the, the most well-rounded pick. I could see either mm. that, Faraday's Fireball is also solid, but the rest of these cards aren't, aren't like really yelling at me. I like the Air Cult Elemental. I just don't want to take a double pip card that's a six drop in my first pick. I think the Moon Druid mm. really just goes into more stuff. I'll be honest. I haven't loved green. No, it's set. it's definitely not the best color. In fact, I think, spoiler alert, I think red's the best color in this format. So maybe mm. I would actually lean towards the Fireball more so uh, as it's decent removal. I'm taking the Fireball yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. But then I think our uncommons are going to change that. We've got Skullport Merchant. That's the two and a black for a one four. It is a dwarf citizen. When ATVs, you create a treasure. Uh, and then uh, it has one in the black. Sacrifice another creature or treasure. Draw a card. So again, with red black, which I am spoiling a little bit there too. We'll talk about this, this sub theme, but... The Merchant fits in that deck very well. Otherwise, it fits in every black deck. I mean, it's just Sailor Means, but better. And uh, awesome. I love this card. This would probably be my pick as well. Uh, it just does way too much for the, the cost. It's, it's just great. Next up, we've got Grim Wanderer. That's one of the black for a 5-3 flash at Uncommon. But you can only cast it if a creature died this turn. I really like this card, but I have seen it awkward to play occasionally. Uh you really have to be on top of your sequencing for this card to be good. But when it's good, it's great. 
I had a game where I checked my opponent for traps, and I saw this, a bounce spell, a kill spell, and several lands in my opponent's hand, and they had nothing on board. So I took the uh, the kill spell and just <laughs> ran them over. Both the bounce spell and the Grim Wanderer were stuck in their hand for the rest of the game. Now, uh... We have a rare here. You notice I skipped an uncommon. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a bit. I, I, we have a rare here. Tasha's Hideous Laughter. One blue blue for a sorcery. Now, apparently this is an actual spell in D&D, right? Yeah. Is this accurately represent what the spell does? Looks like it's making a blue dragon laugh. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you cast it on a thing and they are more or less, if they fail their saves, they are more or less incapacitated with laughter and it damages them too. I guess this kind of does that. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value 20 or more. Weird. Yeah. Uh, this will usually mill, what, like 15 or to 20 cards. Probably not great, given that no one really cares about mill. I could see this being sideboarded in if you're in a control matchup where you really want to... You expect the game to go long anyway. And you expect the game to go down to when your opponent has like 10 cards in the library, in which case this becomes great. But just know that when you cast this, it does nothing to affect the board or their hand or their life total or anything. It's a pretty big risk. I would only really play this in best of three and I would only ever sideboard it in. Yeah, and there are no other real mill finishers. Like mill is not a sub theme in this art, in this deck uh, format at all. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't think I'd be taking that here. But what was that about missing an uncommon? Right, so I'm gonna throw a little curveball at you here. This is a pack, two, well, pack one, pick two. All right, ready? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you uh, for a loop here. Pack one, pick one was Varus Silvery Moon Ranger. That's the three mana three three. It's, it's the, the rare elf. So whenever you complete a dungeon, you make a two two, and whenever you cast a creature spell, you venture. Yeah, that's in green, right? So given that information, yeah, it's one green green. Given that information. What do you take out of this pack? Yeah, I think that that more strongly puts me into the, the Druid. I like to try to stay mm -hmm. open, and we'll talk about more what I mean by that as we get into the rest of the episode, because I don't think it means the same thing in this set that it has in the last few sets, but they pair decently. And what, what's the rest of that, that card's effect? I don't actually remember Varus off the top of my head. Uh, whenever you complete a dungeon, you get a 2-2 wolf. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd probably... Were there? Do we know if there were any other good green cards in that pack that we might wheel? Uh, no, I don't think they were off the top of my head. Okay, I, I think I'd probably just just take the druid, try to stay monocolored for as long as I can. Um, or it's hard because in this format, I don't think you actually should do that. I don't think you necessarily should try to stick to a single color for as long as possible because of the way that these decks just the the power level of them just don't really ever get there. I don't think you should be trying for like synergies or anything like that. So generally, at least for the first few picks, more so than most other formats, I think it's best to probably just be taking the best card in every pack and, and try to gauge which colors are open just so you can grab the best cards in all those colors rather than trying to like build a full deck or like draft a full deck. Yeah. So I think that makes it a little bit tougher. There's not really a lot of ways to venture into the dungeon in green. Like there are some, but it's not like the most venture-y uh, color. So maybe I would just take black and maybe I end up in like a black red splashing this kind of deck and then you can venture a handful of times and it might actually be like a real card. So I'd still be eyeing the Skullport Merchant. I think I want that more than the Grim Wanderer myself because it just seems to fit into more and has less, it has a higher floor as well. But yeah, so I actually took the Grim Wanderer here. I think that was a mistake. I think I should have taken the Merchant. 
green black really does care about those sack triggers and, and drawing stuff and i routinely see see shesra's wheeling because nobody else really wants them besides exactly green black that's not the kind of card you're splashing a format of one three with situational value so i think i should have taken the merchant here and drafted some sweet i don't know green black nonsense i mean i was still clearly going for that but look you give me a five power two drop it's it's kind of hard to resist yeah that's fair all right on to teferi tibble this is our roses and thorns style segment where we share a high and low from the past week for each of us ben kick us off Right, so my Teferi is that, well, we get to hang out and do something in person, which is kind of rare. Uh, it has been for the last two years at least. The last time we played Magic uh, in, a, in a tournament setting together was GPN. Yeah, it was my right? birthday. Yeah, two, two, two years which ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Wild to think about, uh, unless you count all the arena stuff, which I guess we can Yeah, but it's count, not in person. Let's be real. It, yeah, there's so much more to Magic than what we've got from Arena. And for everybody that, that's listening that started playing on Arena, got to go out to your local game store, got to play in some FNM events because it's honestly, it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, there's honestly no other feeling in the world like attacking your 3-3 into your opponent's 4-4 when they're tapped out and you have full mana. And, and you just look at them. Oh, man, I, I can't wait to do that. <laughs> but, uh, oh, and of course, you, you don't have the trick. You never right, have the trick. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, we should do another bluffing episode sure. sometime soon. Anyway, that'll be. Uh, I'm hoping to open up some good stuff, and hopefully, we don't get queued against each other. You know, <laughs> immediately. Yeah, that's kind of the the curse that Ben and I have had. Every almost every event we go to, we get paired against each other, like round one or two, and then it's just like, ah, yeah. I'd rather see you in the final, but yeah. Uh, and then I, I do think it's a little bit weird that we know all the cards already. I I do miss when pre-release was the very first time you get to play with stuff because now. I don't know. It feels a little strange that some grinders might show up to the pre-release and uh, already kind of know exactly what they're building. You're not quite as excited uh, to, to crack that mythic if you already tested it and know it sucks. Like, I don't know. I'm still going to have fun with it, but uh, it's been dampered a little bit. My Tibble is, well, partly that and then partly the fact that I have online training this week. Now, I signed up for this months ago when, when the, the school principal asked, like, hey, you want to do some training? And I figured, yeah, sure. That's in like three months. I'll forget about it by then. I'm not thinking about that now. And now that it's actually here and I'm doing it, it's it's too much. I'm in summer mode. I was on the beach all day yesterday. So having to sit in front of a computer and listen to some people talk about initiatives and other, oh man, acronyms. No, thank you. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, that's why God made uh, dual monitors. So that, <laughs> that I can have my training up on one and arena up on the there other. There you go. Way to uh, way to way to capitalize on your productive downtime, I guess. Productive procrastination, one of those two. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. How about you? Yeah, so I had a very wild week. There was a lot of action going on for me this week. Um, I mentioned last week that Hannah and I, my wife and I, have been working on finding a new apartment. We're gonna have to move out of our current apartment in about a month and a half, and. Or no, about two months. So we've been we went apartment shopping last week. We ended up finding an apartment and signed a lease. So we're we're all Ooh, set. Uh, nice. Which we're at. Dox yourself. Yeah, it's in Hoboken. <laughs> Give me the it's street address. <laughs> uh, okay. So not not terribly okay. far. It's like twenty minutes down the road from where I am now. But it's in a much nicer town, and I'm very much very much excited to go back there. That's where I went to college. So it'll be it'll be nice. Um, it was a great deal, and it was an apartment that I actually didn't intend to look at. So it was one of those like really kind of just freak situations that ended up being way better than I expected to. Um, Sweet. Yeah. So very excited about that. But then also my company was sold this week 
So it's like, oh, which can be ridiculous and like very frightening. Uh, but my bosses are fantastic and negotiated a great deal for the acquisition. But the funny part is that the company that acquired my company, and I say my, it's really just the company I work at. I don't own it. Um, <laughs> but the company that acquired us is IBM. And I used to work at IBM. That was the first job I ever had was with Wait. IBM. So, so you're back, back at, at IBM. IBM. They tracked you down, dude. Can't get Yeah, that's out. what everybody said. They're like, huh, you thought you could get away. Um, so that'll be cool. I mean, it, what it basically means for me, because they bought us for what we do and like the people we have and all that kind of stuff. Because I work for a consulting company, so we don't have like a ton of real products that we can do, like that we can give or increase value in that way. So they're keeping us like our own unit. All my bosses are staying. So it's going to feel very much the same, but we get better benefits. I got a retention policy, which just means that if I stay there for a year, I get a huge lump sum of cash for just for being there because acquisitions scare people away. So, you know, it seems like it's all positive for me. I'll let you know in a year if that's true, but um, (laughs) it seems pretty cool. So set my calendar now. Yeah. So, so exciting things. Glad that's going on. And then we have our, our trip to Germany coming up soon. That's in like two weeks as well. So um, actually exactly yeah, two weeks great. from today we'll be leaving. So that'll be very fun. Very excited. Hopefully that all goes smoothly as well. My Tybalt is that I have been doing so poorly in AFR <laughs> that I can't actually draft anymore. I'm out of I'm out of resources. I've got to grind up some gold and get back into Man. the arena. But uh, I... I don't know. My I think my win rate right now is about forty percent. It might even be a little less. Ooh. So yeah, it's yeah. been awful. And I I think I know why now. We'll get into it in a little bit, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh hopefully I can turn that around. Well, I do have good news. Uh sometimes I use quick draft as a way to kind of convert gold into gems. You know, once you hit five thousand gold, you fire a quick draft. Hope the trophy, it then boom, you're halfway to the next in-person draft. And you just got to do it again. So right now, uh, Quick Draft is ZNR, which I think we're both pretty big fans of. ZNR is a lot of fun. I love smashing people with uh, the little little Goblin 5-2 common and uh, all sorts of party nonsense. I've, I've possibly even drafted an Akiri deck recently. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not have seen that in our trophy decks channel. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I missed that. I had two of the uh, the warrior lords too. I had some. I had a turn five kill one game where I took my opponent from seventeen to zero in one turn. It was awesome. Nice. So uh, grind up some gold and then just farm ZNR. Yeah, sounds like a plan. I do want to play a lot of the new set though, so I feel bad like wasting resources on on that. Maybe I'll wait until quick draft for AFR comes around and then I'll do that. But we'll see. All right, on to our listener question of the week. If you want to ask a listener question of the week, jump in the Discord and check out our listener questions channel where you can add those. We we conf- or we grab our questions from that channel in our Discord, so if you want to have yours featured on the show, that's the place to go to have that happen. This year, this week's question comes from Rob Dies at the End asking, in a set with no duels, is it worth it to pick up or play an Evolving Wilds or something similar for a two-color deck? The short answer is yes. Uh, evolving wilds is not bad enough that you shouldn't be grabbing them when when you need them but uh, this is a weird set because you can kind of splash a lot of different colors due to the treasures that are running around all over the place without really needing to support them in your mana base Mm -hmm. if you're playing a heavy venture deck you can pretty reliably know that you're going to get that treasure from the lost mines right and I guess if you're planning on doing heavy splashing, you don't want to be splashing double pips. That can be a little spooky unless you're in 
weirdly enough, the black-red deck, which can just go nuts with treasures. Black-red has been incredibly impressive. Uh, Kalein, the painter, is very, very strong. I've seen some disgusting things with that card. But that being said, really the only lands we have access to besides the mono-colored rares are Ewilds and what I mentioned earlier, Temple the Dragon Queen. So I guess Ewilds is technically a little better because it thins your library... It's eh, it's debatable. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I I think they're pretty. Close. I think the temple's great though. I think it's a card that most people are too low on, just based on how frequently I see it table. And uh, it's definitely worth picking up. It's the the treasures are not so reliable in the the non black red decks that you can just expect them to be there when you need them in most cases. Yeah. Um, and if you know you're splashing a card that you need your treasures to cast, you obviously should be a little more hesitant to spend them on cards that are not that card but there are also a lot of double pip cards that you can splash because they're expensive so if you're like playing mm. you know if you're splashing an air cult elemental or mordenkainen for instance i played a a i think it was a green white deck which splashed mordenkainen off of basically <laughs> <Nice>. treasures because <laughs> nice. it's a six drop so you you only need like you have a lot of time to get to that by the time you know you actually are hoping to cast the card so it can be done is all I'm saying. Like you can, you can maybe play like a single Island to splash a double pip air cult elemental and, you know, get that one treasure by turn six. So you can actually cast it. Like it's, that's not the end of the end of the world. Mm -hmm. That being said, I would still take evolving wilds or the temple at something around like a C to C plus level, depending on how many double pipped cards you already have. If you have some intense mana requirements and a lot of your best cards do require you to have double pips, We've been spoiled recently with a lot of good fixing. Duels at Common, Environmental Sciences. This is not that world anymore. And even in Strixhaven, a lot of the cards that we were interested in playing reliably had single pips or the double pip cards were more expensive. Sometimes I just get an opening hand where I can't cast my, my bugbear on turn three with haste. Uh, and just I, I have like two swamps and a mountain. I'm like, all right, whatever. Wish I had a dual land here. But that's the world we live in now. I'd recommend taking E-Wilds at... I'd say a little bit above a C. Yeah, also, like, real brief tinfoil hat moment, I'm 99% sure that they either changed or bugged or removed the hand smoother for best of one. <laughs> uh, look, I, I've been getting some some circumstantial evidence of that, too, but I'm not ready to go full tinfoil. Oh, I'm ready. Right? I'm here. Quite yet. Something changed. You, you've seen all the screenshots yeah. that have been posted in the Discord, some by me, some by others. Oh, man, I had a screenshot this morning where my opponent had, like, seven mana worth of X1s, and I had a magic missile, oh, and like I saw five it. swamp, uh, f five islands in a mountain. <laughs> and it was so rough. I ended up winning the game anyway, because uh, I just topped like a bunch of dragon fires, which are also very good. I ended up not needing it, but uh, <laughs> it was painful. It was really painful. Yeah, I've seen a lot more. Could use a new I've seen player. a lot more one or four lander hands than I'm used to seeing. Like it's been noticeable. So, and, and I'm not the only one who said that. You've said it. We've seen others in the Discord mention it. So I. I'm pretty confident something changed there. I don't know if it was intentional, but I'm pretty confident something changed there. Maybe the wizards over at 17 lands can uh, can let us know. I, I think they're probably pretty busy. I noticed there was some other thing, other, another change with the arena logs that makes it harder to watch game replays, so those aren't available right now. Or no, no, it's not that. It's that the card, uh, card data isn't available right now or something. The logs right? changed pretty drastically from what I understand. So a, a bunch of things yeah, were well, messed uh, up, but... Sirkovitz and, and Hulu and, and Varl Misnomer. Godspeed, friends. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, well, on to our AFR first impressions. We're obviously going to go over what Ben and I have been thinking of AFR so far. Uh, now that we've had, you know, basically a week to adjust to the new format, we're going to cover things we like, things we don't like, and pretty much everything in between. So, to start us off, what do you think of the format overall so far? I'm not going to lie, I'm not totally sold on it yet. Yeah, it's not strict saving, right? Yeah, no, it is definitely not. Let's see, I have fired 16 drafts. Uh, my win percentage is 53%. I'm 50 and 44 in, in games. And two of those have been trophies. Among those, there have been some other ones, some six wins, some uh, some O3s. I've had a whole wide spread. And I will say it's taken me a little bit to kind of get a hang of this format. Although only in the last, you know, 48 hours have I really started to feel things clicking. So if you haven't felt it click yet, don't worry. We're going to try to share what we have observed. Like I said, I'm not totally confident in any of my hypotheses on this format quite yet, but we can at least share some of our uh, our observations and then maybe help us and you make some some better hypotheses. So I've had some powerful decks that ended up flopping. Uh, I've had some mediocre decks that ended up getting a lot of wins. So it's taken some readjustment on, on all of our part. Yeah, so on my end, stats-wise, I have run six events, so six premier drafts, I am currently 11 and 18 overall match record, and that puts me at a 37.9% on overall Damn. in this format, which is awful for me, at least. Like, if that's uh, where you're at and that's like uh, your highest yeah. that you've ever been, great, because that's that's great. Any any improvement is awesome. This is not improvement for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to take this opportunity because I don't get this very often. You're a very good player uh, to say get good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously that, that win rate's going to go up. But uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'd like to think that that's obvious, but who knows? Maybe this is just not a format I'm going to click with, and that could be the case. But it's definitely different so far from the last few formats. Uh, it feels somehow more poppery, but also more princey at the same time. It's definitely a popper set, I would say, overall. It has a lot of low-powered commons and uncommons that are just there doing their thing and that's what you're filling your deck with but there are some really bomby rares and mythics and those are seen like we we run into those you you run into imrith every so often and you're just like well i don't know how i'm winning this game uh so you know those things happen uncommons plus matter a lot more it seems in this format than than others and the commons all pretty much across the board feel pretty bad except things like you know maybe dragon's fire but most of the commons feel like pretty bad compared to what we've had lately. And I think that's probably because this this set is weird in that it was designed as a core set, but it it flavorfully doesn't feel like one. There's a lot of new mechanics. There are a lot, even though really the only new mechanic is venture, but there's a lot of new feel and flavor to this thing. We have a lot of those like modal spells. It just feels like an actual set as opposed to a core set. And that has been a weird shift I've had to make in a, in mentality to recognize like we're supposed to be building corset decks in this in this format. We're not supposed to be building these yeah. high powered like all my bombs are just going to win me the game kind of kind of decks. We're supposed to be building these flat like you know maybe four or five out of ten decks, but they're consistent and they're going to do the thing that they they do right. Two drops matter a lot. Three toughness seems to really matter. Even four toughness because of you know like cards like hobgoblin captain. There are also a few pinger death touch combos, which I found to be pretty fun. Like there are a couple of them. It's not oh, just yeah. like a like a there are two specific cards that do it. Like you can put it together with a handful of cards. So that's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. 
so there, there are some things going on here that are that are pretty interesting but i think overall it's a flat format it's not exactly the most exciting format though there are some decision points to be made and there are some things still yet to figure out i have been a big fan of giving a basilisk a throwing knife yeah yeah that's one way to do it then there's also the uh the reaper talisman which gives creatures death touch and the red common that deals one to things that block it so right. you know that's that's yeah. another way to oh do my it. god that's that's sick um so again some more notes on the overall format we're going to kind of go over a few topics we're going to start with the overall format chat about some of the specific decks talk about venture uh, the role of card advantage and then some miscellaneous notes so starting off with the format overall, it's a weird one. Uh, and now that I've been framing it more as a core set where power level is a little bit lower than we're used to, there's still some differences between this and, say, the last few core sets. Creatures are pretty good at attacking slash getting through, uh, thanks to Venture or Death Touch or the rogues that have, like, sneak abilities or rolling triggers or equipment. Creatures want to be attacking. They're, they're built to be attacking. But they're not necessarily very good at dealing damage. Uh, they tend to be smaller, have lower power, have bigger toughness than power. I think the the 2-5 blue one that ventures when it deals damage is a perfect example. At 4 mana, that's not the kind of thing you'd usually expect to see and put in a deck, but you can. I found it to be okay in the decks that want it, specifically blue-white. I've been cutting it from a lot of my other ones, but I guess black-blue wants it too. Uh, not playable in blue-red, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, uh, especially th there's some equip things, things that uh, make unblockable. Uh, there's fly... There's the one equipment that I think Thieves Tools mm -hmm. that gives unblockable lots of ways to get through, but you're not necessarily going to kill your opponent before lots of start like triggers start happening. Yeah, and this is kind of weird because when we did our format breakdown, for the first time since we started doing format breakdowns, we decided to throw in stats on average power and toughness in two drops to yeah. make a statement about what the aggression level of the format might be. And while we were right on the numbers, I mean, the numbers are numbers, they were misleading. And this is a perfect example of where just looking at numbers is not enough. You need the context that those numbers belong to to, to really form an opinion and, a, and an idea about things. But those numbers, average power, average toughness of two drops in this set, would have implied that the set should be relatively slow, but it's not. I mean, it's an aggressive format, and it's relatively quick. There are a lot of things, as you say, that want to be attacking, and though not all of them are good at getting damage through, a lot of those equipments help a lot with getting extra damage through. And when those creatures are good at getting through, they're still applying pressure and they're still causing opponents to go on the back foot because they need to figure out how to deal with these things. I lost the game recently to literally Guild Thief. I had one of the best decks I had ever drafted in the format and I couldn't beat a, a Guild Thief opponent <laughs> it just grew too it grew, fast well opponent was like hey i'm just gonna not cast my spells you aren't able to do anything with the cards all on my in. board all they had to do was keep one they actually kept two counter spells back so the only two removal spells i had for the guild thief just got countered and then they slammed an imrith and i was mm -hmm. like okay well now i need to deal with the imrith <laughs> and this guild thief and i can't i just can't do both Thanks. it just i just can't do it mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the pressure that you were talking about, the, the the pressure being applied by these little dorky creatures smashing in, it's not really life total pressure. It's more like card advantage pressure or adventure pressure, if you will, or other value like making treasures or scrying or gaining life or other little things. So it can snowball pretty quickly. Uh, that being said, sometimes if everything just trades off, occasionally you will have this late game grind where both players are sitting there top decking and we're not used to that 
when both players are enacting their game plan, sometimes they do go long if they've just been trading off with each other. Uh, so consider that your opponent probably has some kind of bomb hidden in their deck somewhere. I mean, this is a core set, so uh, I, I, that's how I've decided to start treating it. You do have to consider that your opponent will have something along the lines of like a dragon that can just come down and take over the board immediately. I can't tell you how many long games have just ended the moment somebody top decks their dragon and, and then the other person hasn't. That can be a little bit of a feels bad, but, you know, whatever. Save a kill spell for, for those guys. Uh, best of one has felt a little bit bad. I think because of this slightly more princey vibe that, that you mentioned, the rares are very, very good. There's some Bane Slayers in the set for sure. Westgate Regent is stupid. Yep. Like, <laughs> that card is nuts. I had a deck with two of them, so I had it pretty consistently on turn five. It was awesome. I think that makes best of one feel worse because you aren't considering when to save your removal for the bombs and that kind of thing. Because, I mean, let's be real, the power level of the commons, like you said, it's pretty flat and it's pretty low. It's balanced across colors. I think black and red are a little stronger, but... All colors are playable. So when you use your, I don't know, Faraday's Fireball on your opponent's like four mana, three, three, because you had to get in some damage. And then next turn, they slam their dragon. You're like, oh, shoot. Now the game ends, right? But in best of three, you can you know take that, learn from it and go, okay, well, I have to develop a board to find a different way of dealing with that three, three and save my Fireball to actually kill the dragon, which that, that's not really something that we had to do too much recently a lot of our removal or otherwise interaction tended to scale pretty well but now i think uh because there's a few more of these bombs running around uh, i i'm gonna try to switch over to best of three best of one has just had some feel bad moments for me yeah i think i haven't tried best of three yet this format but i think part of that might have to be a mentality shift when you're playing like you have to play differently and you have to kind of expect okay this unconditional removal this grim bounty needs to be saved for the absolute last minute where if i don't use it now i'm probably just going to lose the game because if there there are ways to deal with a lot of these flat kind of lower powered creatures and if your opponent does slam a bomb then you just then you just lose right and so you might have to kind of shift the way you're using your removal but i think that's true too like managing your sideboard a is a part of magic and it should be something that everybody's able to do but it it also does change the dynamic of of the game and allows you to kind of plan around what you're expecting to see in games two and three yeah it's interesting i i didn't really think about it too much yet but i think i'll give best of three a try as well at some point if i ever manage to get resources back and uh we'll go from there but uh maybe you could uh steal a little bit from the old draft chaff budget <laughs> skim a little off the top you know yeah, perhaps, i would never perhaps. notice well i do manage all the all the funds so <laughs> dude you, you could just be pouring your gems uh just straight out of our hold on maybe this time we open up a shared bank account or something. perhaps but anyway um uh i, I will also mention uh, I, i'm gonna insert this here it doesn't really fit too well into any of our other subcategories when you're drafting i think it's been pretty important to uh, go with the, it's, it's weird. There are these big bombs, right. Uh, that you can take and then wind up drafting. Let's say you first pick an Imrith and then you end up just taking a bunch of like kind of crappy blue cards after that. Well, then you're going to have this deck where you're going to have, it's, it's kind of spiky depending on your draws. When you draw the Imrith, great. 
But if you don't have the support in blue, you're going to have these other games where Emrith is in the bottom five cards of your deck and you just have this kind of mediocre blue X deck, right? Because you got stuck to the Emrith. I think it's important to be able to find your lane uh, and, and find your color or find your vector as we're about to talk about because that is where some of the really powerful stuff starts happening. So for example, green-white. I've seen green-white do some just disgusting things where they've had all their classes leveled up and every t- and they've had like a they've had the innkeeper on the battlefield which we <laughs> may have glossed over in our, our initial review. Uh, white does actually have a soul warden effect and it is the innkeeper and it's innkeeper green, is great. Yeah. Right, ran- uh, yeah, it's it's green this time. That's why we didn't know. Uh, so anyway, green white. I've seen it like it, it looks like you're playing a Heliod deck in in standard, where every time a thing comes in, you're gaining two life and you're putting a counter on a creature, and then you attack and you gain three more triggers and life gain, and it, it can be really really powerful. But the cards that make up that deck are very narrow. So I think the vectors I would describe as more narrow. They're tighter. In, in, in this format than others. So for example, you could have a ton of different builds of a late game, I don't, I don't know, some kind of late game blue-green-red deck in, in Strixhaven. If you're playing any of the teamer combinations, there's a lot of different looking teamer decks that are good. Sometimes they have an aggressive package where you're playing stuff like a, a bunch of pledge mages, right? And then you're kind of going over the top. I guess Prismari or Quandrix Pledge Mages, and then uh, triggering them and, and building up and going over the top with them. Or maybe you're playing a more controlling version where you have uh, a Draconic Intervention and a bunch of uh, Elemental Masterpieces, and you, you're trying to control the board until you take over in the late game. Doesn't really look the same way in AFR. The best green-white decks will look like the best green-white decks, from what I've noticed, that they have turn two Trellisara, and then they have a bunch of life gain after that, and they have these repetitive life gain cards. So I think if you're playing green-white and you are not doing that, unless your deck is just full of bombs and you're drawing them reliably, your deck's just not going to do as much as a reliable green-white life gain deck. This is just some, again, this is observational data. Don't take this to heart necessarily. This is our, look, we're only a week in. But I think it's good to find that lane. And that's why these uncommon signposts are pretty useful. Because when you see one pick five and uh, it's in one of your colors and you haven't really set up yet, just take it. That means you're going to be in that vector. And that means that vector is most likely open. So uh, again, a lot of the strongest payoffs are these build arounds. Uh, for example, like the signposts or the dice rolling or the venture payoffs or the life gain payoffs. You kind of notice the same thing? For the most part, yes. And that's kind of why I was talking about earlier where drafting in this format, like staying open is a little bit different in this format than it has been in the past. It's not necessarily sticking to a single color as long as possible and then waiting to make your decision on the second color because not all of the colors, like blue, for instance, you really only kind of want to be playing blue in blue black. Like it sometimes works in the other mm. in the other decks but like that's really all all it fits in it's kind of bad otherwise so like yeah. sticking to blue you know opening opening that imrith and then just like as you mentioned taking a bunch of mediocre blue cards just to stay in blue so you can play your bomb and then you somehow end up in like this blue red deck but like doesn't have a ferrita or like doesn't have barbarian class or any of these other cards that like matter for the deck you're probably not going to do very well and i think that's also a nice touching point for this format it's it's a feature of the format i think and i don't know if this was by design i would assume it is but those decks that have those like strict identities and by those decks i mean 
green, white, I mean red, blue. The ones that have those very specific identities of like this is doing the life gain thing or this is rolling the dice or black, white having the whole venture package. Um, and then from there, you kind of like drift off, I think, a little bit. But specifically green, white, and blue, red, you need a plethora of enablers, but you also need a large amount of payoffs because in your red, blue dice rolling deck, if you never find a Farida or the the Fey, the Feywild trickster, the one that makes the one ones when you when you roll dice, your deck kind of doesn't do anything. You're just spinning the wheels yeah. or rolling the dice, as it were. Like you just don't do anything. And I've found the green white deck to be the yeah. same way. If you're just gaining a bunch of life, we've talked about so we've talked about cards in the past where it's like how much life does a card have to gain for it to be worth the mana cost or whatever for you to even put it in your deck. And we were saying it's like an absurd amount of life. It's like upwards of you know basically twenty life or whatever. Life gain doesn't matter if you can't do anything to capitalize on having the extra time because that's all it's really doing is buying you a little bit of time in most cases. And if you don't have a Trellisara or a Celestial Unicorn, you're really or like a Cleric class, you're really not doing anything. And the life gain doesn't matter. So it's weird because you need a you you almost need critical mass of enablers as well as payoffs. Whereas we're kind of used to seeing like. As long as I have one or two payoffs and a handful of enablers, like the deck's going to do the thing it's supposed to do. And that doesn't seem to be the case here because you might you might get one of the real payoffs for your deck, but then your opponent just removes it from the board. And then it's like, well, I don't have a way to get that back, so my deck is now just not going to do anything for the rest of the game. And I've had that happen a bunch mm-hmm. of times, and that's, I think, why we see these cookie-cutter versions of the decks that are like, these are the versions of the decks that are going to win games, and every time somebody posts, hey, I trophied with green-white, it... It has a Trellisar, it has a Cleric class, it has, you know, uh, the the two mana 2-2 with lifelink. Like, these are the cards you're going to see. The Sylvan Shepherd has been really, really good in that deck. The three mana uh, 2-3 that roll a dice gain life, depending on how much, depending on what you roll. All of these are components of these decks, but you need all of them or the deck doesn't come together. Whereas I think something like Red-White doesn't necessarily have that. It does have a few cards that you really need to see, you really would like to see. Hobgoblin Captain being probably chief among them. But... You can still chain together like a handful of equipment and a handful of aggressively slanted creatures and probably still win, even though none of your cards are amazing or really synergizing very well. And I think that's something that a lot of people expected to see in the beginning of the format. It's like all these synergy themes are going to just be amazing. And when we put them together, they're going to do the thing. But really, you kind of just want to be drafting like decent creatures and putting them in the red zone. And, you know, that that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a feature of aggro too, not a bug, I right. would say. I think that's why, uh, especially early in formats when people are still figuring out whether synergies work, aggro tends to overperform. I'm really interested to see the 17 lands aggregate data about this set to see. I'd love to see some of the maps that Sirkovitz made for Kaldheim, specifically for this set. I have a feeling they'll be tightly packed as for high win percentage versions of certain decks. But uh, yeah, I. I uh, I had a great, I should have screenshot, I had a, a great mental image earlier that kind of sums this up. Uh, I'm blanking on the names because, you know, it's only a weekend. But there's the 1-3 blue fairy, where whenever pixie you roll guide. a die, a pixie guide. And there's the 1-3 red dwarf, where whenever you roll a die, you ping yeah, for one. Brazen something. <laughs> I don't remember the full name. I had I was just like brazen dwarf or some nonsense. I had two of each and an empty hand. And my opponent... And they're still on the battlefield. This is like later in the game. And my opponent had just played a bunch of like owl bears and it just like fully obliterated me. There's nothing I could do about it. Like, and at, at that point, even my best draws in the deck, like, like, um, 
Crown had other plane or I had a blue dragon in that deck. Nothing that I could have top decked at that point would have helped me because my, my vector just wasn't very built up in that deck. Like if I had some of the things that could have supported that better, of course I had a maybe not the best draw. I did kind of flood out, but still it, the deck just wasn't doing something good. Yeah. I mean, the and it's weird because in that deck, you almost want to say that those are payoffs because they don't roll the dice themselves, mm-hmm. but they are linchpins in the roll dice deck, but they don't actually do anything. And that was kind of why we were talking in the format breakdown. I, I mentioned that I was a little bit perplexed by the fact that they don't trigger on each die that's rolled. They only trigger once yeah. per die roll, or grouping of die rolls. Underpowered. Right. It's so narrow. Right. Yeah, the only times I've seen that deck really work is when you have multiple Ferida and Barbarian classes and things like that. So you you can like really cap it. And those are like still aggressive decks because they're just punching you for a ton of damage really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that's also why Black Red is so so powerful in this format. I mean, the fact that it's really like five color Rakdos is something. And it ramps. And it ramps. Like <laughs> that's something there's something to be said about that, but there are there are a lot of good red cards in this set. There's a lot of good removal in red. There's a lot of good aggressive creatures in red that can do the like the damaging thing. But then you also have the flexibility to play whatever rares you open because you can splash them off your treasures and things of that nature. So, and then it's probably why why I think blue is on the weaker side. I think blue has some of the best rares in the set, but then mm. it's a little bit lower in power level across the common and uncommon range, so yeah. it can be very swingy. Yeah, and those those rares and such don't play very well together. Take uh, the four mana two five uh, that ventures when it deals combat damage, and imagine curving something like uh, I don't know, it, Feywild mm-hmm. Trickster. Is that the three mana two two that makes uh, fairies mm-hmm. when you roll? Right. Those two, like in certain decks, are good cards, but you just can't play them in the same deck. You know, bl- blue is so fractured among what it wants to be doing. It wants to be doing this dice rolling thing and the venturing thing. And I think it it just never really comes together fully unless you happen to be the only blue drafter and the packs crack just right. Yeah. Now, speaking of smashing, uh, I have seen Brunor do some work. I think red, white is a lot of fun. I- I've seen Brunor make I-, I had a I had a hawk with like 11 power. Oh, yeah. Set a, a couple of equipments on it, and Brunor can can do some pretty nonsensical things and can end games really quickly before your opponent has the chance to kind of reassemble their board or draw into what they need. So I found red white to be a lot of fun. I think I have an underdrafting blue, uh, which I guess I'm not gonna cry about too much because it's it's been a little rough around the edges. But I, I think I sh- I do want to get a little more experience with it before I judge it too harshly. I haven't played too many blue decks. I think I've only out of my 16 drafts probably only two. Or three have, have involved blue. I don't know. I'm just having a lot of fun with the Mardu colors and occasionally just slamming a bunch of owl bears or <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, overall, um, still looking to get more data on this set, but as as an overall final note on vectors, they're narrow. Find your vector and uh, don't be afraid to go in. The, these busted life gain decks, when they go off, they, they work. When the busted die rolling decks go off, they really work. And you will get signals and you will know when they're open because you'll get like a pick six Feywild trickster that means all five people to your right said no thanks not interested well if you're in blue and you had like a, a, a faraday already just go in on it all right on to venture when we did our format breakdown we were kind of tossing up the idea of whether or not venture would be similar to learn lesson in the way that you know that provided pretty serious card advantage i think we've both come to the decision that venture is not learn lesson it does not really give you that card advantage. None of the effects are very uh, powerful enough to actually equate to a card. Even 
a lot of times when you've completed a full dungeon, you almost don't get a full card's value out of out of all of those effects. The only way to really gain serious value out of the dungeons is to be turboing through them, speed running them, as as some folks have started calling it. This is really generally seen in like black white, which has the ability to do this pretty pretty regularly. Or potentially blue white with cards like Hama, but I even really would prefer to just splash Hama in a black uh, white deck and just get those extra mm-hmm. triggers. I don't even really think the blue white deck is a deck you really want to be pursuing. Yeah, I will note that some of the some of the uh, the ones that actually do draw cards, you do technically get your card back. But it, this isn't learn lesson in the same way that you can just go and you know for sure that you're going to get a five five right or a four four depending on or a 3-2 or a 2-1 or whatever you're grabbing or a pair of 1-1s. It doesn't matter. In a way, it's almost like they took a bunch of creatures that would say, like, when X ability happens, scry mm-hmm. 1. And they just kind of... It's like factoring out. Yeah, a little bit. It's as if they factored it out and they put it into these multi-option things, which are admittedly really cool. So just a little bit more about Venture. Top-decking a Venture card, it might only get you a minor payoff, right? Top decking a venture card might only get you a minor payoff. So I think if you're venturing, you really want to be venturing. If you're just playing a one-off venture card just because you can, that's just a creature that says like ETB scry one or ETB gain a life. That might not necessarily be what you want to be doing. You really have to be able to trigger it reliably. So uh, I've noticed this is different to when we would toss in cards that I've learned because you knew that you could just learn and go get your spirit summoning or go get your inkling summoning or something like that. Now, uh, uh, something funny I found about Venture, uh, a few little notes about this. If you have a creature that is locked down, uh, say with an aura on it or something like that, uh, you can go through the uh, the painful one. What was that one called? The, uh, the layer? No, that's the other one. No, Tomb of Annihilation. Annihilation, right. And you can, say, sack your, your one creature so you don't have to lose the life or, or whatever. You can sacrifice it to the, the quick root and go get that 4-4 Death Toucher, which is a real body. That's a big thing in this format. Sometimes it needs to be double blocked. You can get through that pretty quick. Or, another little note that I found, pretty much everyone goes straight for Lost Minds of Pandelver, right? That, that's kind of the go-to one. And that helps you complete your first dungeon quick. If you're in a dungeon or if you're in a deck where you care about venture, if you're like in a hardcore venture deck, I found the most efficient way to be to make it through the, the lost mines, get all your venture payoffs so that like your, your dungeon completion payoffs. And then unless you have like a repetitive dungeon completion payoff, uh, I guess dungeon crawler, which is hilariously named something like that. Uh, I recommend then going through the dungeon of the mad mage because at the end, the payoff of uh, of getting to exile a bunch of stuff and free cast something and even all the scrying along the way that can actually be a pretty strong late game advantage yeah it's interesting you say that uh, the dungeon of the mad mage is i think it takes too much to get through unless you can really turbo through like i've seen relatively controlling builds that run cards like 50 feet of rope and dungeon map where you mm, can reliably yeah. like you're you're venturing twice a turn and your opponent can't attack through your secret door or whatever and you just yeah. get to go off because you're you're venturing twice a turn. Otherwise, I don't think it's really worth going through that because the payoff takes way too long to get to. Most games, if you've ventured seven times, most games are over. So mm-hmm. you're really not getting the value out of that. Um, what I would say is I agree. I think the default should generally be Lost Minds of Fandelver. But if you're really aggressive and you know that you just want to close a game out, 
Tomb of Annihilation is not a bad option either because you'll get that 4-4 pretty quick. You often can make a treasure or something and hold on to that to get rid of so you can turbo through through the tomb and get to that 4-4 pretty quickly without getting rid of cards that you actually need. You might have a token lying around like a goblin off of you know one of the various cards that generate goblins. You might have a card that you played that was decent on turn one but is no longer relevant by turn three or something so you can sack that, things like that. So if you know you're really aggressive, you're trying to put the pressure on and put the pain on your opponent, Tomb of Annihilation is a great, great one to start with as well. Mm-hmm. You know you're in bad shape when your opponent got off to an aggressive start and they they pick Tomb of Annihilation instead of a like Mad Mage. Like, uh oh, <laughs> they're planning on ending this pretty quick. I will say there's been some discussion in our Discord about uh, achievements. We'll toss around potential achievement lists. I don't know if this counts as an achievement, but I did get my last point of damage. Uh, I guess drain in this case via. The, uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, which is pretty that's sick. That's nice, that's nice. All right, on to card advantage. Obviously, card advantage is important in any format, more so when this f- the power level is so flat. I mean, that can be really big make or break depending, like, to determine who's winning in a game. A lot of cards in this format that say draw a card on them are pretty good. Owlbear is one that comes to mind. Fantastic card. Obviously, they're never bad, but the last few formats just had a lot of ways to generate card advantage, so you really never ran out of cards. That is not here in this format. So the cards like Priest and Owlbear that say draw a card on them can be really big. That was a mention I, I said about the Potion of Healing. If you have ways to recur those things through something like Teleportation Circle or ways to buy creatures back from your graveyard, they matter a lot. And I think that was a consideration we had with the Priest was, well, it's a 3-mana 2-1, and you know that's generally not a card you want to play. But the fact that it synergizes with the with the green-white decks, so they, they care about that life gain, and more so than anything, it draws you a card, which is which is really big, because it's hard to find good card advantage in this format. Mm-hmm. If we think back to Strixhaven, a lot of games ended while players still had cards in hand, right? Uh, there were ways of making sure everyone had card advantage, thanks to Learn and Lesson. Everyone had a bunch of cards in hand, everyone was happy. But here, you will often have games where you are, you've run out of things to do, and th- there are some things to do. You might be able to activate one of those abilities. There's a blue one that lets you roll dice, uh, a black one that lets you roll dice, and some other random mana sinks floating around in the form of classes. But even then, sometimes you run out of things to do. So when your opponent top decks an owlbear, it feels brutal. And I think that kind of feeling is important to pay attention to. It's a good hint. It's a, a good way to point towards what is valuable in this format. When your opponent top decks owlbear, and they draw that card, and then... Uh, they top deck a removal spell or even just like a 3-3 or something, it feels brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can take what once was a winnable game and just swing it all the way back around. So because the, the card advantage isn't as, I guess, plentiful among all colors, I do not think it's sufficiently offset by, say, venturing a bunch because sometimes your opponent will draw into a way to prevent you from venturing. And then uh, you're locked out of your method of, of advantage. They are not locked out of theirs. So I recommend taking cards like uh, like Albear and the Priest pretty highly. Yeah, agreed. Last but not least, we have some miscellaneous notes here. This is one we mentioned earlier, but Spare Dagger. I've had a lot of fun with this card. Putting it on a little Death Toucher, it, it honestly just becomes premium removal. And I've actually found including it in, I don't know, any deck that has a, a good number of two drops. Because every once in a while, your opponent will play... Uh, an X one that you really want to get rid of. I think is it Yang T Malison, whatever the the blue snake is. <laughs> I had one game where I did not kill that thing with a spare dagger. I killed something else, and I was like, "What could possibly go wrong?" 
I killed something else later in the game. I played like a like a three drop on turn three instead of like equipping my two drop. And I was like, this thing is just gonna venture a bunch. Like I can deal with that later. Uh, and then they they like blew up my my two drop, and then I they killed my three drop, and I was never able to equip. And then they ended up just winning the game because uh, I was an idiot. So I recommend using a spare dagger if you need a twenty third card. You can put it in. It's great in the equipment decks. It's great if you have death touchers. Uh, it it looks a it looks a lot like those equipment that you would never put in your deck, but I think it's a little bit and it looks. There are some very high impact X ones. Agreed. Next up, uh, Battlecry Goblin, early front runner for DCH or Draft Half Hero. If you're not familiar with the term, it's, oh yeah, this card it's awesome. awesome. Uh, I have not personally made it work yet, and I have found myself questioning how so many people have made it work but it does seem to be pretty great it, <laughs> it enables a lot especially if you can go wide uh, and it helps you do that if it can get through and it's just a two drop two mana two 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 mana two twos are fantastic in formats like this and this does a lot more on top of just being that so yeah really great uh other cards potentially in the running magic missile and you know there are a lot of there are a lot of decent cards in this format as far as uh, the uncommon slot goes, but yeah, Battlecry Goblin's great. Yep, love it. It feels a lot like a uh, a Ravel Master or a Goblin or sorry Legion War Boss. The way it can come down if you're in one of those top deck scenarios where I just described, and you have a bunch of mana floating around, you're you have like eight lands in play. You play it, you pump it, maybe you even have another Goblin or a token laying around. And then when you attack and get pack tactics, then you pump it a bunch more. So you went from having maybe like a 3-1 on board to having like a a 3-1, a 4-2, and a 3-1. Yeah. That is a lot of value. And it's all it's all swinging. It has hate yeah. then. So I, I've really liked the Battlecry Goblin. Pairs well with combat tricks and other things too. Uh, and I've also gone up on Tiger Tribe Hunter. Yeah. Uh, this card I was a little suspicious of. But now I've just started looking at it as... Any creature that you top deck and can cast afterwards basically just acts as a removal spell, a situational one, but it kind of gives all of your creatures like cast it to just trade with a thing as long as it has power equal to that thing's toughness. Yeah. If that, if that makes sense. I found it pretty useful and a 4-4 four, four, uh, is actually a lot bigger than we gave credit for initially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I did have the pleasure of playing with Grandmaster of Flowers, which was fantastic. If you can get a Monk of the Open Hand, which I did have, <laughs> this card is stupid. I learned the the fun way that it can get back a Monk from the library or the graveyard. So I, I remember I traded off the Monk. I got up to like a 2-2 two, two, and I traded for a 2-2. Two, two. And then when I ticked up, I was like, wait a minute. That says graveyard? I can just go get the Monk back? And, and so I got the Monk back and then I played another spell and, it, and then it was a 2-2 two, two again. I'm like, oh my god. This Monk is stupid. Highly recommend playing Grandmaster of Flowers. And... Don't be afraid to speculate on the monk. If you're in white, you might cut it from your white deck. Not every white deck wants this if you're playing like a longer late game one. Uh, and even if you're not, if you're trying to curve out and you're not double spelling that often, it's not it's not great. Maybe take one. If, if, if you think there's a chance you might somehow pick up a Grandmaster of Flowers uh, in, in your in your draft. Uh, next up, Black Red Sack. I think it's back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's back and it's, it means business. Not only is Black Red just, I think hands down, probably the best archetype in the format but there mm -hmm. are like reasonable threat effects there's like price of uh what's it called price of loyalty where you grab a thing and then it pumps that thing and there are a lot of good sack outlets we talked about sepulcher ogre or no sepulcher zombie i think or I, ghoul i think uh it's two one right yeah it's a two mana two one that you there's no mana cost to activate but you just sack a creature but you can only do it once a turn 
and it gets plus two plus two. It's kind of mm. like a, a power it down Nantuko husk. We yeah. we kind of trashed it. I, I said in the format breakdown that I was really excited about that card until I read that you can only do it once a turn, and then I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. So I'm not a high on this card. I actually think it might be a top three black common. Like, I think it's really good. And oh, on yeah. top of that, you have things like Skullport Merchant, which allows you to sack creatures or artifacts. I, when I first read that card, I was like, oh, cool, it's sacking treasures. No, it can sack your opponent's stuff too if you can steal them. So yeah. there are a lot of good sack outlets. There are a lot of good threat effects, and... When you get the two of those together, this deck does its thing. Plus, it's pumping out treasures and trying to do its whatever else it's trying to do and playing random rares and whatever. It seems great. I'm very excited to try to draft this deck because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Black Red has a lot of depth in this format. Unlike a lot of the other kind of narrower colors, this is kind of a subsection of Black Red that's enabled just because of the nature of Black and Red cards. Uh, Black and Red still is doing its main treasure thing, but that actually kind of helps because it gives you more mana so that you can, say, actually cast a threatened effect and activate a sack ability um, on the same turn, which you might not have been able to do otherwise. In some formats, you just can't do this because the threatened costs like three or four, and then the sack abilities all cost like two or three. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at turn six, seven before you're ever, ever able to do this. You can get this combo off on turn three <laughs> if you want it to uh if it, if it works so uh keep an eye out for black red sack i can't wait to try that one out myself all right and lastly here in our miscellaneous section we want to talk a little bit about venture cards if you have enough of them you can kind of splash off of treasures without any other real fixing because you can guarantee that second venture on lost mine to give you a treasure if you can't venture or make treasures reliably, splashing is pretty bad. In fact, I would actually argue that you should probably be leaning to almost a monocolored deck with, like, splashing a second color as opposed to trying to splash a third color. Mm. You won't really find yourself doing that that often, but we have seen some decks that almost look monocolored with, like, a little bit of extra flavor, with extra color added. Um, and if you can kind of take on the mindset during the draft portion that you're drafting something close to a monocolored deck you're going to find that you'll be able to play your stuff a lot easier. But Evolving Wilds and Temple of Dragon Queen are cards. Take them when you need them. Take them when you have no other... You know, Don't take a crappy common when there's a an Evolving Wilds or a Temple in the pack. Like Take those cards so you have access to them. We also see a lot of relevant two-pip cards. Uh, a lot of the high end, like all the dragons. We see the, the elementals at the top, at the top end. All double-pipped. Magic Missiles double-pipped. There are a bunch of three drops that are double-pipped. You have the, uh, the one red-red... 3-3 haste that's double pipped so there are a lot of cards charm sleep i could go on and on there are a lot of cards that are double pipped in the set a lot of them are playable and actually some of the better cards in the format it's not easy to cast a lot of those especially when you're like trying to splash a third color or something of that nature so really be mindful of your mana base and be mindful of what cards you're trying to cast and when you're trying to cast them and uh if you have any other miscellaneous notes or thoughts on the format just hop in the discord and let us know uh, I guess, hold on, I'm stealing a little bit of Zach's sign-off. Uh, that, that's going to do it for us this week here on Draft Chaff. Hop in the Discord and uh, let us know what you think of, of AFR so far, because it's a really cool set. There's a lot of things going on. We're all still figuring it out, though. It might take us a little bit longer for this one than other formats. That's all right. We're all in it together. So hop in there and let us know what you think, and you can see what we think. Yeah, and the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Also, if you want to give back to the show or support us, Definitely check out the Patreon. That's the best place to give back. Patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. And again, we're going to be adding quite a few things there throughout the next couple of weeks and months. So keep checking back if there's just not quite enough there for you. Um, otherwise, thank you to all our patrons. As always, we really appreciate it and wouldn't be doing this without you. 
Also, if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter. You can find me at Rannick Alfredian, Ben at Betafish1, or the podcast in general, which we both check out. You can find that at DraftChaffPod. That's it for us. We'll chat with you next week. Enjoy the rest of your AFR this week. So, as you may have heard, Zach and I have a, uh, a pre-release to crush. Actually, the day that this comes out. So, if you're listening on release day, it's happening probably right now as you're listening. We are cracking some packs. And I would like to know, Zach, what are you most hoping to open? This is a tough question for me. To, I think we, didn't we talk about this last week? Pretty sure you asked this. Well, now same. we've actually played with. Okay, that's fair. We've played with the cards, so uh, now we get to update it and actually have some. Because I have, I have one that you are, you will never predict. I, I, I would bet ten bucks right now that you could not predict the card that I most want to open. Interesting. I'm debating whether I want to take you up on that bet. How many <laughs> guesses do I get? Do I have to do that in one guess? All right. Tell you what. Five dollars. Three guesses. Oh, I'll take you that. You have to answer I'll take first. That bet easily. Like, yeah. Of course, of course, I'll answer first. Right. If you tell me that defeats the whole thing. Well, no, no. I guess mean, all three. You, you, I still want to know you. Oh no, I still want to know the, the card that you want to. I open see, with. I see, I see. Then we'll get to all this. All right, sure. Time. I'm not positive. You're talking about like your promo or just any any card. I guess promo or anything. What What do you most want to see in that in that promo? Okay, spot? I think what I want to most see in the promo spot is Xanathar because. I haven't gotten to draft that card yet, and it looks hilariously fun. Like, my... Oh, my God. It sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my desire to just, like, lock all my opponents out of pre-release, especially because I have a feeling we're going to be facing a bunch of people who have already, like, gotten familiar with the format and stuff, which, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a little... Nervous isn't the right word, but I'm a little skeptical about how that's going to change the feel of pre-release. Like, I'm worried it's not going to actually feel like a pre-release. But anyway, Xanathar's up there. Yeah. I would really like to open the Grandmaster, I think, that would just be really cool. Um, Lolth mm-hmm. seems really good as well. So probably, probably, one, <coughs> excuse me, one of those three. All right. Uh, you're up. You, you get three guesses. We got $5 riding on the line. All right. What is, what is the card that I want to open most at pre-release? Do I get, before I answer anything, do I get any information about rarity or anything at all? I just have to make a guess. Are we- no, nothing. But it's good. like, what do I most want to see in my, uh, in my, my, my okay, promo? Okay, so that, I mean, that answers a little bit about rarity. Because I'm, I'm not guessing about common. That's all I'm giving yeah, you, that's though. that's fine. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, get the spoiler I, Yeah, up. I may or may not be looking at the, at the spoiler here. Because obviously, like, the, the it, knowing me... The classic answer would be something like Inferno of the Star Mounts, which I did get to play, and it was awesome. Uh, I don't think you can actually ever 20 your opponent. <laughs> I, I think, think I saw somebody possible. said they did in our Discord. Someone did already? Oh, yeah, I think, uh, I think Mothman not, did, but I'm not positive about that. That's awesome. Uh, I'll have to go check that out. But Inferno is pretty sick. Maybe if you double its power uh, and then pump it a little bit, that, that's doable, actually. Could be, could be. But anyway, All right, um, well, what are you thinking? Three guesses. My first guess is Demi-Lich, because you said it's a card that I wouldn't expect, and I don't think I would expect you to want Demi-Lich. Looks like I owe you five Yo! Bucks. First guess! <laughs> I'm amazing. God damn. So, uh, I, I had the opportunity to play with Demi-Lich today, and it is, it is awesome. 
I loved Demi Lich. <laughs> I, I didn't think I would either. I mean, a card that costs four blue, that's that's less me than Cryptic, and I would never cast a Cryptic. But uh, to be fair, uh, I, I was able to cast it at one point for blue blue, so it go. doesn't really count. This card is sick. The ability for it to rebuy instants and sorceries when you attack. Uh, I Also, I'm pretty sure every like legacy and vintage player wants this. How much is, is this thing worth right now? I, I bet it's up there. Um, it is currently worth $25. All right, then foil Demi-Lich, here we come. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting card. I don't actually know that I think it's good in limited, or at least in, in draft, because... Like, how many instants and sorceries are you casting in this format? I feel like most decks aren't casting very many. And if you are, like, you really need the Demi-Lich to already be in your hand or, like, already be on the board or... I don't know. It feels like it's not okay, actually that okay. good. Okay, Hear but... me out. It's a color-shifted flame painter of free with no, higher it's not. power. You're not casting your opponent's stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that was... Wait, could that kind of sure stuff? Flame painter did. Now I gotta look it up. I don't think that's it. But, but anyway. Um, oh, no, I lied. This I was one, thinking of a different card. Yeah. Okay. Hear me out. Usually the, the spells that you are playing are good. They're good enough, right? You're playing like a Faraday's Fireball or like a Dragon's Fire with this or like a Bounce Spell or a Counter. I guess Counter doesn't work with this, but but something like that or a Card Draw Spell. I found Demi that should be awesome. Also, at worst case, it's like a often going to be a 3-mana three 4-3 three, three in blue. And then if you ever get to do that exile a bunch of stuff to bring it back clause, you've probably won the game if you've cast that many instants and sorceries. So uh, trust me, th this one's worth playing. Okay, but all I'm thinking now is like, you're like, all right, I'm getting away with something. I'm playing this four mana, this three mana four three, right? Let's say you can cast it for three. And then your opponent has a hobgoblin captain on the other side of the board. Like, what do you, what? <laughs> You attack and you you buy back Dragon's Fire and you free cast Dragon's Fire on the right, Hobgoblin right, Captain. Right. Dude, take your five dollars <laughs> and just be happy. With it. All right, all right. I want to be proven wrong. Don't get me like I I do really love this card. I'm just not sure that it's. I think LSV gave this like a one point five out of five for draft. Like I I don't know that it's well, actually uh, good in this format. I think it could be amazing in some formats, and I would love to play this in like a constructed deck of some kind, like a mm -hmm. I don't know Turbo Spells or something. Sounds like really fun for this. But we'll yeah. see. Well, uh, when I open it as, as my promo and smash you, and once we get paired in round one, yep. <laughs> then you'll know. Hey, I, I got. It. I'm going out of this tournament with a five dollar net win, so I'm I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs>